want to invite you to stand as we read Luke chapter 23, verses 39 to 43, uh, because this is the word of the Lord. And we're going to read this passage, and then I'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into it. So let's read Scripture together. This is the passage that we're looking at in verse 39. It says, Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. He said to, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fact that we have a, the privilege and the opportunity to look into your word this morning. And we would ask that your Holy Spirit would take the truths of Scripture and implant them into our hearts. God, each and every one of us are coming here to our service this morning. We're coming from different family backgrounds. We're coming from different situations coming from different experiences, even on the drive here this morning. We've faced various situations through the course of this week. We've wrestled through a variety of different things. Some of us have had times of celebration. Some of us have had times of difficulty and trial and frustration and hurt. So, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us exactly where we are, with exactly what we need. We ask that we would be not just hearers of the word, but that we would be doers also, that we would have ears to hear what you say to us and respond to it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'd invite you to have a seat. We're working through the statements of Christ from the cross. Last week was really the first week that we addressed the very first statement from Christ on the cross. And that statement was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do or they don't know what they're doing. And he says that as they are hoisting him up to be crucified. We focused in on that statement from Jesus last week. And this week we're going to be focusing in on the second statement that Jesus makes from the cross of Calvary. And yet that statement is in conjunction with, it's in keeping with an interaction that Jesus has with the two criminals that are crucified with Jesus. Dr. Philip Riken spoke a message from this passage one time, and he entitled it, The Luckiest Man Alive. And then he proceeded to say that he didn't really believe in luck, but he thought that was a creative title. Uh, I decided not to steal his title. Um, I entitled my message, Confession of a Dying Man, because that's really what we're facing, what we're seeing in this particular passage. But I appreciate what Dr. Riken said when he was trying to illustrate the significance of the criminal that we're going to be talking about today and where he finds himself. He made this, this thought-provoking statement. He says, of all the criminals on all the crosses outside all of the cities in the whole Roman Empire... And this man was crucified alongside Jesus. Now, some people would think, well, that's just a coincidence, or that's just happenstance. 
But this picture is not a picture of coincidence or happenstance. It is a picture of God's grace and providence in the life of this rebel. And so we're going to see this interaction between one of the criminals and Jesus as they're both, both being crucified. I really believe that this passage of Scripture really is a picture of each and every one of us. Between the two criminals on the cross, it is a picture of either where we are today in our relationship or the lack thereof with God. We're either like one of the criminals where we are right now in a place where we are an enemy of God and we are in a guilty place before God in open rebellion against Him. And really our life illustrates the way that one of these criminals responds to Jesus. Or, we are like the other criminal, where we came to the place where we recognize Jesus for who He was and who we are in, in, in the face of that, and we gave our lives to Christ. Really, there are no other options. Those are the only two places that we can be. And in fact, we see that represented in the two characters on either side of Jesus when Jesus was being crucified. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this, Just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this the judgment. This verse becomes intensely real for the two individuals that are alongside Jesus. We see these two characters in this particular passage and as we read through it, I want us to see first and foremost the first of the two people that are crucified along with Jesus, and that is the ridicule of a guilty criminal. Right off the bat, in this passage, we see the response of one of the two criminals. It says in verse 39 that one of the criminals hanging there yelled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, it's important that in order to get a full picture of the events that are happening in this particular passage, it's really good for us to come out of Luke and take some time and look at Matthew's account and Mark's account and John's account. And we're not going to do that today, but I would really invite you to do that as, as we work towards Easter and as we're talking about uh, the work of Christ on the cross, His death, His burial, His resurrection, I would really invite you to take some time on your own to read Matthew's account of that, and then Mark's account of that, and then Luke's account of that, and then John's account of that. It gives us a robust picture of what's going on. If we read Matthew and Mark, we would learn that Matthew and Mark both record, along with John and along with Luke, that two criminals were crucified alongside Jesus. Matthew and Mark record that at some point during the crucifixion, probably early on when they were first hoisted up on the cross, that both of these criminals insulted and ridiculed Jesus. Luke records that there is a change of heart in the life of one of them. And John simply tells us that two criminals were crucified alongside with Jesus and then never mentions either of them ever again. John records some other things for us, but he doesn't record this. Only Luke records this interaction for us. And yet what we learn from Matthew and Mark is this, 
that both criminals initially insulted Jesus and mocked Him, along with the rest of the crowd. They kind of joined in with exactly what everybody else was, was saying and doing at the foot of the cross as they were mocking Jesus. And then at some point, one of these criminals has a change of heart, but one of them does not. And we see in this passage, Luke records for us, the ridicule of a guilty criminal. There's one of them that remains steadfast in their guilt and in their sin. He is not going to budge. He is not going to bother to recognize Jesus for who He is. Any work that the Holy Spirit might have been endeavoring to do in his life, this guy was going to have none of it. And we learn that this man, this guilty criminal, mocks and insults Jesus. He says, aren't you the Messiah? How would he know that? Well, likely he knows that because of the things that he's hearing from the people around him. It's possible that this criminal didn't know Jesus prior to the, the moment of the, the events of the crucifixion where he was marched along with Jesus with this Roman cohort that was with him, carrying his cross as Jesus was unable to carry his, and being slammed down on the ground and nailed to his cross as Jesus was and hoisted up, and he's hearing the insults of the people, and he just chimes in as the rest of them do. Maybe he never even thought about Jesus being the Messiah up to that point. Maybe he didn't even realize that that was what Jesus was claiming up to that point. But as he's hearing the mocking of the people, the religious leaders, the people at the base of the cross, he chimes in and says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. One thing that we can learn from this guilty criminal is that he was not really willing to recognize his guilt. So often, it's exactly where people are at. They stand guilty before God, but they're unwilling to recognize that their guilt. Maybe they still are clinging to this idea that, you know what, I think I've done enough. I think I've, I think I've been morally good enough to be able to stand before God. Maybe this particular criminal we understand that they were rebels. They were likely revolutionaries. The reason why they were being crucified is because they had committed a particular uh, egregious crime. And so maybe as a zealot, as a revolutionary, maybe he was firm in his thinking that, you know what, my rebellion against the Roman Empire, that's a just cause. And so I'm being unduly persecuted here. I don't really deserve what I'm getting. It's because they don't like us as rebels, but we stood up against them, and my cause was just, and so whether or not I deserve to be here or not, I, I think I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at. One of the things that struck me as we were doing some door-to-door -door evangelism yesterday is that we, it's, it's not uncommon to run across people who really have just bought into this understanding that this is all we've got. The, the, this is the life I have. You know, my 70-plus years, this is what I got. I'm going to make the best of it. You know, so I don't need to really worry about standing before a holy God because I don't believe that there's anything past this. This is what I got. Whether you believe that or not doesn't make it true. 
And this guy may have thought, you know, this is all I got. This is the life I got. This is it. You can kind of see that he's more worried about the life that he has, not the possibility of eternity, because when he says to Jesus, aren't you the Messiah? Look at what he says. He says, save yourself and us. He's not worried about eternal salvation. He's not worried about where he's going to spend eternity. All he cares about is the here and now. Hey, Jesus, why don't you step off this cross if you're the Messiah and bring us with you? I'd rather be relieved from the torment that I'm experiencing now. I'd rather be able to live my best life now. So why don't you do something for me right now? Maybe there are some of us here this morning or watching online that we're more concerned about the here and now. We're not really concerned about the the reality of eternity. And yet Jesus came because He understands that we're lost souls who are going to spend eternity in hell apart from Him. And He came to die to save us and give us eternal life. But this ridiculing criminal, all he cared about was the temporal, the immediate. He didn't recognize Jesus for who he was. And you can see that in his mocking. We see the ridicule of a guilty criminal. He represents maybe some of us in this room today. Or he represents what we were before we came to Christ. But we see criminal number two. Number two, the rebuke of a repentant rebel. This criminal represents many of us who have come to faith and trust in Christ, but as we think about what we were like, we see in him how he came from a place of being guilty before God, but appealing to the Lord Jesus Christ to save him. This rebuke of a repentant criminal, we see this rebel, and we have to ask ourselves the question, like, how, how did he get to this point? What we do say is, see is this, that as he speaks to his compatriot, and he's, as he challenges this guy in his thinking, as he rebukes him, we start to see that he has a, a good understanding of who he is before God, and how he find, where he finds himself, and who he has to appeal to in order to see salvation. He says this, he says, Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? This repentant rebel looks to his friend and he says, Look, you're, you're experiencing the same thing as I am. We're, we're being punished for our sin. Don't you understand this? Don't you see the gravity of this? Don't you get that you're getting exactly what you deserve? Whether this criminal had ever heard Jesus teach this, it takes our minds back to Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus says this, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more, but I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. This criminal comes to the realization that, you know what, he doesn't really need to fear the Romans who are going to destroy his body but can't do anything after that. He comes to the realization of the gravity that the one that he really needs to fear 
is the one who has the authority over his eternal state, Almighty God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 31 says this, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I believe that this criminal, this repentant rebel, began to fully realize that he was in the hands or he was going to be in the hands of a living God. And he knew his sinfulness. He understood his guilt before God. And it was bringing him to this place where he needed to be rescued from his sin and his guilt. And he began to recognize who Jesus was. Instead of in a mocking way saying, aren't you the Messiah, do this for me? He starts to begin to realize that Jesus really is the Messiah. We can ask ourselves the question, what brought about this understanding, this, this clarity for this particular criminal? What, what changed in his life? What happened in such a way that was going to bring him from a place where Matthew and Mark tell us that he was actually insulting Jesus to a place where he was recognizing Jesus for who he is, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, and saying, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? What, what changed? What brought him to this place? Some of it might be a bit of speculation. Maybe this criminal had had an opportunity in, during Jesus' earthly ministry to hear Jesus' teaching. Maybe they saw, he saw a few miracles that Jesus performed, and on the cross, as he's hearing the things, uh, uh, the accusations leveled at Jesus, he begins to think, hey, you know, I remember this guy healing somebody. I remember this guy raising somebody from the dead. Maybe this guy really is the Messiah. Maybe it was the godly humility by which Jesus carried himself as he was being scourged and as he was being mocked and as he was forced to carry his cross only to have it be taken by somebody else because Jesus couldn't do it. As Jesus didn't curse people when they were nailing him to the cross. Maybe this guy was looking at how Jesus carried himself and thought, there's something different about this man. Nobody behaves like this when they're being crucified. If nothing else, what we can know for sure is that Jesus made a statement on the cross that must have resonated with this man. We talked about it last week where Jesus is being crucified by people who despise him, and Jesus' response is, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And this guy hears the compassion of Jesus Christ for lost people. And you got to wonder, how much was this resonating in this man's mind? Wait a second, would God really forgive me? Could God really forgive me? If, God's really gonna, if, if God can forgive the people that are crucifying Jesus, would he, would he forgive me? What I can say for certain that was happening in the life of this man was what Scripture says. Jesus said that when the Son of Man be lifted up, He'll draw all men to Himself. And I firmly believe that an aspect of that statement was being fulfilled right here. As Jesus was being crucified, the Lord used that in the life of this man to draw His attention to who Jesus really was. 
John 6.44 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What I can say for certain is this, that Jesus, when he said this, we're seeing it played out in the life of this, this criminal. That there is no way that he could see and recognize Jesus truly for who he was, except that the, the Father was drawing this man. Amen. Drawing this man to saving faith in Jesus Christ. John and John 15, 26 records this statement from Jesus. He says, When the counselor comes, the one that I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. What we know from Scripture is this, is that the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin and brings them to a place where they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What I can say for certain is this, the Holy Spirit of God was working in the heart of this man to help him to see who Jesus really was. And this repentant rebel, as he rebukes his partner in crime, recognizes his sin. He says, we are being punished justly. We are undergoing the same judgment. We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. This criminal saw his sinfulness before Jesus' sinlessness and he appealed to Christ as his Savior. That we see in the statements from this rebel on the cross. Verse 42, he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about this event, what, what is happening in this historical account. You've got a dying man appealing to a dying man to save him. For many people, they would hear that and they would think about that and they would say, that makes no sense. How can a dying man appeal to another dying man and ask him to save? How is that even possible? How does that even make sense? You can see where this is a stumbling block to the Jews and, and foolishness to the Gentiles. But the thing is this, when the rebel says this to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he recognizes that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is the Messiah, that he is bringing about a kingdom. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You're the king. You're the savior. Remember me. puts his faith in Jesus Christ to save him. He commits to Christ. Some people look at that and say, oh, that's a, you know, he's, this is a prime example of a deathbed confession. Hey, look, if this guy can wait until his last minutes to get saved, that's what I'm going to do. Maybe that's somebody here. That's saying, well, you know, look, like this guy gave, you know, he held out until the end, but, you know, God saved him at the end, so, you know, that, that, I think that's what I'm going to try. You know what? Pastor said this one time. He says, even at the very last moment, you can repent and be saved. And he says, this is true to teach, but it's dangerous to depend on. It's true. This man, in the dying hours of his life, puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he's rescued from his sin and he's saved. It's true to teach. Dangerous to depend on. Why? 
because we see an example of a guy who was going through the exact same experience, hanging beside the exact same person, Jesus the Messiah. And in his dying hours, he wasn't going to repent of his sin. He was going to hang there and mock Jesus to the very end. Let me warn you, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, don't ever think, hey, look, I'll just wait to the last minute. I'll continue the way that I want to live, but I'll give my life to Jesus at the last minute. We don't know how many minutes we've got. So it would be dangerous to depend on a deathbed confession. Let me encourage you, trust Jesus Christ today to save you. Number three, this is what we see in this passage, the reward of a rescuing Savior. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He recognizes Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who came to seek and to save lost people. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says this to him. This is Jesus' second statement from the cross. Listen to what he says. He says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus recognizes this man's confession of faith, his his acknowledgement of his sin, his recognition of Jesus as Savior. And Jesus says, today you're going to be saved. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Just think about that for a minute. This was an immediate salvation. Jesus didn't say, you know, at some point, some point it's going to be looked after for you. Jesus says, no, today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, when you die, you're going to be with me in paradise. When we talk about paradise, what does Scripture mean by that? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 4 tell us what paradise is. Paradise is heaven. Paul says this. He's talking about, I believe, himself. He's talking about how he was personally taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the reason why he was able to be uh, acknowledged as an apostle. He says that he talks about a man. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. saw Jesus, was taught by Jesus. He says, I saw a man who was caught up to the third heaven. In verse 4, he reiterates the statement, but this is how he says it. He says, this man was caught up into paradise. What's What's Paul saying there? Paradise is heaven. When Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise, Jesus is saying to to the criminal on the cross, today you're going to be with me in heaven. You're saved because of the work that I'm doing on the cross of Calvary. You're going to spend eternity with me in heaven. Another passage of Scripture that helps us understand that is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. And we see in Revelations 21 and 22, this played out as well. John says this, or Jesus says this, Let anyone who has ears to hear Listen to the Spirit, what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We know that the tree of life is in heaven where God is. John says that it's in the paradise of God. Paradise is heaven. Paul says that absent from the body is present with the Lord. 
when this man dies on this cross because he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he was going to be in heaven with God. The reward from a rescuing Savior. Paul talks about that. Talks about the fact that we as believers become citizens of heaven. And the moment that this man places faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Savior, he became a citizen of heaven. And when this guy's life expires on the cross, he stepped from the land where he was just a legal alien, a sojourner, he stepped into heaven where he became a citizen because of Jesus Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus the righteous died for these men, the unrighteous, and this man put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Peter says, So that he, Jesus, might bring you to God. Jesus brought this man to God because of his work on the cross of Calvary. Now I have to say, that though we're working towards this, it would really be um, wrong of me not to make sure that I emphasize it here. But we're going to talk about it even more in depth on Resurrection Sunday. It is about the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. It is about the sacrifice of Jesus as the sinless, spotless Son of God who offered Himself as a sacrifice once for all. But it's not just that, it's because Jesus was buried and then he came back to life three days later. This man was saved because Jesus finished all of the work. He died, was buried, he was resurrected. We serve a risen Savior. Hallelujah. And we have to remember that. This man acknowledged Jesus as the Savior. And Jesus won that victory over sin and death and hell the moment he walked out of that grave. What do we do with this passage? How do we process this? What do we take from it? There's two things that I want to leave us with. Just two. Maybe some other things that the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart about. But number one is this. It's not too late to come to the saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's not too late for you today. This man came to saving faith in Jesus Christ in his last hours of his life as he was hanging in agony on a cross. And he put his faith and trust in Jesus, and Jesus saved him. It is not too late for you today. If you are here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God is working in your heart and bringing you to that place where you understand that even one sin, even the smallest sin, means that you cannot meet God's perfect standard of holiness and that you need Christ as Savior. Paul says in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All of us. James says if, if, you, if a man was able to keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all of it. We all here, if we were honest with ourselves, would say, you know what, I've at least broken some law of God's holy moral standard. I can't keep it, which means I'm guilty before God. Today, acknowledge your sin before God. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Faith, commit your life to Christ. That's what faith is. 
I'm committing my life to Christ, all of it. He's my Savior, He's my Lord, He's the boss. He runs the whole show. Secondly, for those of us who know Christ as Savior, who can say, praise the Lord, I was, that, that, I was like that thief on the cross, I was like that rebel on the cross, but I too came to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a born-again believer. Let me encourage us as believers, don't, don't give up on praying for lost people. And don't give up on witnessing to them. You may have think of somebody who you've been praying for for a long time, you've witnessed a few different times, and they are resistant to the gospel. Let me encourage you, don't give up on them coming to faith and trust in Christ. Keep on praying for them. Keep on talking to them about the gospel. Keep on loving them in Christ. God can bring them to saving faith. Don't give up. 